Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 39, the one about pitching ideas, caption translations, elevated conversations, and a few good men. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back for more news, tech content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. As always, my co-host is man on a mission to keep marketing simple, the host of the Rockflow video series and the author of Cats, Maths, and Marketing Plans. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, you are also a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. You are the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome everyone, Mr. Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to you as a listeners for your support, Roger. This is episode 39. Episode 39. We're nearly, we're, we're creeping <laughs> towards the big five O. It's a big one, as I say, where I come from, not really, just as I say, we're around here. Uh, shall we begin with In the News? In the News. According to research by Kantar, the UK was the fastest adopter of online grocery shopping in Western markets last year, with more than £1 in every £10 spent online. Where Premier Inn has invested in its first major brand building campaign for three years. The £20 million campaign multi-channel hoped to take advantage of the quote-unquote pent-up demand for staycations. Facebook has introduced a new audio mini-player that allows listeners to enjoy music and podcasts from Spotify directly within Facebook without switching between apps. Well, according to research by Ofcom, 62% of UK adults played video games and spent £7 billion, Roger, on gaming last year as Britain sought forms of entertainment to cope with lockdown measures. For the Olympic Games Tokyo 2020, which begins in July 2021, the organisers have added digital games for mass participation in order to build excitement and reach new Olympic audiences. Google Annuals Conference I.O. 2021 is going ahead from the 18th to the 20th of May, and its CEO Sundar Pichai has promised a first look at the Android 12, new Google search features, the new Pixels 5a and much more. TikTokification is the real thing, according to thedrum.com, as the short social videos first introduced by Vine and Snapchat can now be seen all over the web and television. And finally, interaction designer and researcher Marc Tissier from the Da Vinci Innovation Centre has invented the iCam, a webcam shaped like the human eye that can see you, blink at you, look around and observe you. That is not Oof. creepy at all, Roger. That's not creepy at all. Reminds me of uh, those amazing sweets from Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Square sweets that look round. <laughs> there's something about because the, they have little eyes. Yeah, there's something about the human eye that that well, particularly follows you is just not great. So, I mean, it is an experiment whether or not the um, humanification of you know tech can help somebody feel more at home and comfortable. But um, we shall see what the results are, but uh, I wouldn't be convinced. No, not at <laughs> all. So just going back to the beginning, Premier Inn, mm. investing in brand building. Now, they're using this term, staycation. Now, I've got a problem with this staycation. It, it, I guess it's an American word, isn't it? It is. Um, and, and the UK media seems to have adopted it for people who go on holiday within their own country. So if you go on holiday in the UK and you're a UK resident, then that's a staycation. 
Now, to me, if you live in the UK and you go on holiday in the UK, that's a holiday. If I go, if I live in the UK and I go to France on holiday, that's a holiday. I always assumed that a staycation was when you actually have a holiday, but you stay in your own actual house where you actually live all the time. I'm probably being pedantic. <laughs> well, no, 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 no. It's, it's all about the power of words and the meaning of words. Yeah. You know, you're staying yeah. where you are. So uh, yeah. case in point, very, very soon I'll take some time off work, but I'll stay at home. For me as well, it suggests, you know, it's almost like a lesser form of holiday. It's not as good mm. as, you know, mm. traveling. My kind of small reservation is, of course, I've used Premier Inn happily for many years as a business traveler. And I must confess, Roger, if I wanted to have a holiday, not a staycation, a holiday, they would not be top of my list in terms of a place to stay. But um, nonetheless, I want to wish them good luck. And, and the adverts are all right, actually. I've seen, I think, the, the Rest Easy uh, campaign that I've seen on te television at the moment. So we do want uh, the brand to do well, but I, I still f struggle with this idea of premiering equal a holiday destination. I just don't have that in mind. Yeah, you're absolutely right, but I've never really thought about it before. But yeah, I, I stay in Premier Inns when I used to travel on business, and they're great for, for business, you know, comfy bed, somewhere to put your laptop, uh, quite functional. Uh, but yeah, you wouldn't... You wouldn't equate it with with a with holiday luxury or, or or a hotel on a beach somewhere or beside a lake, would you? Now, Roger, have you contributed to the £7 billion spent on video games over the last 12 months? Oh, I'm undoubtedly have done that. Although, you know, I know you're a massive gamer and I've been a fairly sizable gamer, but I tend to play the same games all the time. So my games of choice, as you know, Fortnite and um, uh, Planet Coaster, I, I tend to fire those up pretty much all the time and then sort of dip in and out of the other ones like the fight, fighting games and shooting games as and when they're popular. When I kind of uh, spotted this um, item from Ofcom, which I think suggests that they're taking seriously, I kind of reflected. So normally, as in when there isn't a pandemic upon us, Roger, I would play roughly two games a year, as in the, the big games. You know, I prefer, yeah. as you know, RPG-type games, and I play a little bit in, on the Friday night, maybe at the weekend. And maybe mm -hmm. two a year would be roughly what I would do. The last one that I played before the pandemic was Fallen Order on the Star Wars video yeah. game. I made a list in preparation for this um, podcast recording and for the last, well, since the pandemic, so a year and a month into it, I've played eight games. Wow, right. That's know? quite a lot, isn't and it? It's a big, end big difference. End-to-end, end. So from Spider-Man to Days Gone, which I recommend if you like zombie genre, to Metal yep. Gear Solid Five, to uh, currently I'm playing uh, Assassin's Creed, you know, Odyssey, um, Dragon's Age Inquisition, you name it. I've played all of them. But I didn't play, you know, uh, a lot more. I think it was just in the evenings and weekends. But I think because, again, I didn't have to travel as much. Maybe I played. But it was just a, a big surprise to me that literally from two games a year, I've played eight on this occasion. Wow. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So what about TikTokification? I just had to bring that back up because it was such a hard word to actually say. <laughs> well, I've noticed it. Uh, if you look at TV adverts in particular, Roger, but also shows, um, 
the Anton Deck, you know, Saturday Night Takeaway, all their stings, all their kind of um, mini adverts and and kind of uh, you know video content was all version of TikTok in terms of transitions mm. and that kind of things. Mm. I'm seeing it more and more as well, uh, even in print, in terms of the layout of the typography and so on. And this kind of um, you know, let's doctify our marketing campaign. You could just imagine the language in those boardrooms. I'm kind of uh, amused that you know the public is not telling marketers what to do. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I've said before, I'm not sure I really get TikTok and 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 reels and all of that sort of thing. But you know, again, quite a lot of marketers that we know have adopted these things, and the and and. The, the marketing people on TikTok and Reels seem to have this thing where you obviously pay, play some music in the background. You may be doing a little dance like this, and then you point at a corner and you get a bit of text to appear. And then you point down there and you get another little text to appear. <laughs> and it is actually quite clever, Pascal. I'm not, I'm not taking that away from them. But if everybody is doing that, then you don't stand out. You just look like you're doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah, and, and I can I tell people who are listening, watching to this, if you watch the adverts right now, in terms of transition from one into the other, it's all emulating the TikTok features and, and functions that people are using, as you're right, very cleverly. It's, you know, people are so creative. But for me, it's like, well, let, let the consumers have their fun. You know, yeah. why do you have to kind of step in and, and forever spoil it? But also, it's only going to last. Do you remember the, many, many years ago when there was, um, the, what was it called? The, the flash crowds, where people suddenly yeah. would start dancing randomly in shopping centers. Yes, Again, that's you, know, you know, marketers just kind of spotted it done by you know normal kind of people, and suddenly went, "Yeah, let's do that." And I don't know, it, it just amuses me more than anything else. Yeah, I think these things are fads, and they, they come and go. <laughs> they come and go. Absolutely. So, very quickly before we move on to our next segment, what do you think, particularly for you and I as well? I know you've been a podcaster long, longer than I have, but this idea of potentially our current and future audience listening to the show directly on Facebook without having to to move on from the platform. Well, it's probably a good thing in some respects, isn't it? Because I know that when we publish the links to this show within Facebook and within LinkedIn and within Twitter, the algorithm of those platforms penalizes us for posting a link which takes people away from those platforms. So if we can actually post it within those platforms and let people stay and listen, then that's got to be a win-win because assuming we, we won't get penalized after that. I I welcome it uh, from the point of view of distribution and access. You're right because you and I keep track of the results and we know what what's happening there. Yeah. My kind of small criticism is, of course, it's Spotify and nobody else. Yes. And, and sometimes I don't know whether there's some bit of laziness in the negotiation because Facebook, obviously, one of the largest social network out there. Spotify, one of the largest audio platforms, uh, get together. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has to be Spotify, absolutely right. Super. Well, once again, thank you, Roger, for reacting to the news. Let's slow things down, move on to the next segment, the content spotlights. So our regular viewers and listeners will know that this is one of Roger's favorite segments. We surprise each other every week with a discovery from the interweb, an article, a podcast, a video. So, Roger, what have you got for us this week? Well, Pascal, it's another article from 
Inc. magazine, obviously the online version. And this article is actually written by Carmine Gallo, who's actually quite a famous keynote speaker and author and uh, a Harvard University advocate. The headline is How to Pitch Your Ideas in 10 Minutes or Less. Use these three strategies to quickly grab your audience's attention. Now, again, it's one of these things I looked at and thought, ah, nothing new here. Uh, But I did read it because it was written by Carmine Gallo, and, and, and I've read some of his stuff before. Before. And it's quite a short article, but I did get sucked into it. And the reason I got sucked into it is because he illustrates his three points differently than I've seen illustrated recently. And at least the first one reminded me of something that I've not thought of for a long time. So the whole point is that he starts off with this obvious fact now that we're all time poor. We've all been living through this pandemic. We've all been spending a lot of time sat in front of Zoom calls and and, and monitor screens. And it might have been in the past that pitches took an hour. It might have been in the past, as you and I know, that a keynote speech was 45 minutes. But things have been squeezed down now because people's online attention spans are so much lower and 10 minutes seems to be around about the time when people start to lose interest whether it's a keynote speech or whether it's a pitch or whether it's just a conversation about anything and we've we've discussed this before on the show where we said to people if you're doing a speech you know something's got to change every 10 minutes whether it's you being replaced by a different speaker or at least your location changes so that it sort of jolts the audience back into attention Uh, so his argument is now that you know even when the pandemic's over maybe we should retain this because simplicity is great and focusing in on those 10 minutes to pitch something is absolutely key so going very quickly through the three ideas Um, the first one again the headings it doesn't really say much what's the idea but this is what really intrigued me here because he uses a journalistical technique which is called don't bury the lead now i remember this from going on journalism courses years ago and when i used to do a lot of pr work at big corporate and i was talking to journalists the lead is one of the most important parts of an article that a journalist writes now if you read any newspaper article any magazine article after the headline the first sentence of that article is what they call the lead and they pretty much put all the information that you're going to read during that article within that first sentence it's the who why what how etc in some order mixing up those those vital points but you know journalists spend more time sometimes crafting the lead than they actually do crafting the full article and so he says you know don't just fire out that first that first um, sentence and then move on you know even if it's at the end when you're writing your pitch come back to it and recraft that first sentence because that first sentence just like the article that you're reading in a newspaper has got to suck the listener suck the reader in to excite them and to point the way towards the ultimate call to action that's that, that is going to be in this pitch and you know there's there's other things like um making sure that if there's a really important piece of information that you really want people to remember it's often useful to put it at the end of the sentence so um 
we had 80% growth in sales this year, everybody, isn't that great, is a nice thing to say. But you might start off by saying this year has been an incredible year, everybody, because this year sales grew by 80%. And you see how much more powerful that is by including the the rip-roaring figure at the end of the sentence. So it, it, I just loved that, Pascal. It reminded me of this journalistic lead thing that I've not thought about for years. So, and, and I've been trying it out with some of the things that I've been writing myself since I read this article. The second thing, again, not rocket science, but it's the what's in it for me. What's the payoff? What's the problem that you're going to solve? And this is where you demonstrate that you understand the needs of your customer and how your product or service is going to solve that customer's problem better and preferably different to everybody else, which is something you hear me going on about in my book quite a lot and on my own podcast. And finally, can you include a real story within there? A story from your own personal experience, either yourself or a customer or a colleague, Somebody who's had an example, maybe with your product or service, somebody who's written a review, somebody who's done a testimonial, but tell it as a story and try to, and you know, I know you're a massive fan of storytelling and the, the hero's journey and the setup and the middle and the end, try to build those techniques into it. Now, this sounds like quite a tall order to do all of this in 10 minutes, but what Carmen's saying in his article is, again, it's all about choosing the right words and then editing it down so that it fits within that 10 minute segment so that was it pascal it's actually quite simple quite easy but i sometimes love seeing these articles that just re remind me and generate a spark and make me think about things that perhaps i've either forgotten or i need to be revising i love you said very timely reminder because people will need to communicate on an ongoing basis for quite some time. I mean, I always say to mm. people, um, how long do you think you'd be trading for? 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. You need to find a way to communicate that it is good for you so you feel obviously re-energized this time you communicate, but also you need to find a way of communicating where there's flexibility and you can re-explore your key mm. messages. But the way to do that is to use those methods that you know obviously the article reminds us of and mm. and sometimes mm. like you always think you know is it time to move on to a different method is it time to move on to a different way of thinking but like you every single time i'm brought back to the basics because they work so damn well yeah yeah the basics work damn well and they have done for for many many years and and again you know you can look all over the internet for templates and and uh you know flow charts and everything like this but often it's you know it's the it's the beginning middle and end it's the hero's journey it's the problem agitate solution the absolute basic structures of pitching and writing are still the best and, and for me it's this idea of the press release mm. which again is not taught sufficiently i believe whether you're, yeah. you're taking a course or you're being taught by your your mentor or your senior team members 
but to me, the press release, if you if you know how to do the press release, you will know how to do all other forms of written content. And I'm going to almost leave it as that, as a statement, because yes. I, I'm going to start to go on, the, on the, my soapbox about what people have done with their marketing efforts by doing tweets more often than they've done press releases, Roger. And I think yeah. as a result of which the skills have been slightly eroded or it's still time to catch it for sure. And, and I think once again, your selection this week is is a growing minder for that so pascal <laughs> i've done mine you hit me with yours well once again even though we do not talk to each other we do not confer and share notes i have chosen article about uh -huh. writing <laughs> now this one has a title of b2b content isn't boring unless your writing is and yep. this is by Jonathan Crossfield, who is an independent storyteller, content creator, writer, visual storyteller, is really an accomplished kind of communicator. And he wrote this article for the Content Marketing Institute. Now, I've brought content from the Institute a few times, but this is the first time I've read anything from Jonathan Crossfield. And I'm really, really pleased I came ac across literally th th this um, kind of item. It's a long-form content, I would argue, uh, I didn't count the words, but it's one where you want to take your time to grow through essentially um, an example of what it means by avoiding to being boring. So starting point says, the B2B industry needs to stop making excuses, saying, well, because we are B2B, we can't be as interesting as those guys from B2C. So that's our lot. You know, say so that's an excuse and we must move on. And I'm sure you've heard that excuse, Roger, yeah, many times. Yeah. So what he's talking about is more misjudgment, um, misunderstanding, mistakes indeed. So number one, which will not surprise you, the reason why your writing may be boring, and by extension the content is boring, is because it was written to satisfy an internal audience. Mm -hmm. We're there again, Roger. That could be obviously your your peers within you know your organization, but also the competition. So what he's saying is, you know, once again, people are writing content to show that lot across the road that our cases are better, or that you know we are, we know more about the industry than they do, and forgetting, of course, the audience. So forget your impressing obviously colleagues peers and competitors but that's something that we mentioned many times one that actually had forgotten about but that's true particularly in the world of content marketing it was saying stop using the number of downloads as a measure of success <laughs> because ultimately all you've done is come up with a very good title maybe a very good book or a very good landing page but you don't know whether your content is been engaging and you don't know whether your writing was boring or not so you say you know find different ways which is not not easy at all number three which will please you monsieur roger edwards the man on a mission to keep marketing simple <laughs> he was saying that you want to keep the language simple and clear and he quotes a research from the i'm going to read that to you christopher trudeau and the thomas cooley law school saying that eight percent of people surveyed preferred clear english in legal documents even though even those who had essentially the the skill set and experience to understand the jargon and and so on and so forth so even though you want to impress others with your technical language they would favor a simpler language the other thing that he reminds everybody is please understand your services and your products are not interesting the people using them are yes so we're back to your story earlier that you mentioned that's yeah. what makes it interesting. So stop talking about what the product is 
and start talking about what it does and for whom has a bit of yeah. grammar for you. And then he goes on to say, well, and sometimes just be a bit, a bit daring. Just try and find some analogies, try and find some images, maybe create almost fiction and mm -hmm. take your characters, your clients, maybe your colleagues, yourself into what he called an hyper real world so that it can be more engaging. And he gives two examples where someone is essentially using the idea of a spy, using obviously their kind of products and services and somebody making actually a zombie survival guide Mm -hmm. uh, uh, analogy, you know, with regard to their product. But the other thing that I would say is this article is structured and each of the key elements is an example on how to write in a way that is interesting. So for if you read it once, it feels a little disjointed because the style keeps changing, but that is on purpose because once again, you know, Jonathan wants to show us different ways in which you can be interesting and engaging, even though it is maybe B2B. Yeah, again, Pascal, so many good things in there. And and you're absolutely right. Of course, I'm going to approve of any article that says you've got to keep the language simple. But I guess when it's business to business, you know, when I do my presentations and I say, you know, you always have to talk in the language of your customer and you should assume that their knowledge levels are really low so that you don't use jargon, and you don't use complicated language. And sometimes the business-to-business -business people will turn back and say, yes, 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 Roger, but that's okay for when you're selling to the public, B2C, but when you're selling to other businesses, they're used to all this jargon. They're happy with it. And I still fight back against that because unless your accountant's selling to accountants, it's very likely that whoever your business customer is, is still not going to understand your language. So if you're an IT consultant selling to accountants, you can't speak in IT speak in the same way as you can't speak in IT speak if you're selling to a man on the street, broadband or, or something like that, for instance. So I will still maintain that language should be brought to its most simplest level and assume that your customer, whether it's a business customer or whether it's a man on the street customer still has to assume that they know very little about your industry so that you don't overuse that complicated language. And I think when I reflect on the, on the article I've just reviewed for you, th there's two things. By keeping it simple, you are actually respecting the audience and showing your approach and mindset when it comes to customer service and customer care. You know, I mm. care enough to simplify this. And also, frankly, I don't care whether the competition believes, for example, that I don't know my stuff because I've chosen not to use the jargon of the industry, which I think is, is where it plays. And secondly, I'm also so passionate about what I do. I'm going to be creative and turn this into a, a zombie survival guide. Yes. And see and see where that where that takes you. Yeah, and, and, and again, I think this obsession that businesses have with their competitors again mm. often alienates the, the end customer because you know, yeah, they, they, they there has to be a, an element of comparison, but when you become obsessed with them to the exclusion of your customers and if it taints the messages that you're putting out there, then it becomes about you and it becomes about your competitors as opposed to being about you and your customer, whether it's a business customer or consumer customer. Super. Well, viewers and listeners, do let us know about your reaction and your thoughts on those two selections. But also, if you are a content creator, do submit your articles, videos, and podcasts to Two Geeks and Marketing Podcasts. We would love to include those in our segment. But for now, Roger, let's move on to marketing tech and apps. 
So, Roger, what have you got for us this week to become better content creators? Well, this week, Pascal, I'm going to focus in on helping you to improve your public speaking skills. Now, I've come across a couple of actually really, really interesting apps. And again, not ones that I've seen before. And the tech is is actually quite impressive. The first one, it's called Oray, um, A-O-R-A-I. So Oray or Oray. I'm not sure exactly how you um, pronounce it. Oray. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I want to say. Now, it's what you do is you, you, you put it on your phone and, and preferably put it on a tripod or lean it against um, a, a bookcase or a wall. And you effectively deliver your speech or a segment of your speech. It can be 30 seconds. It can be 15 minutes towards your phone as if you were presenting to your phone and that phone was an individual. And then it does this remarkable AI uh, techno wizardry thing and it analyzes your speech line by line and it tells you things like the pace at which you went where you might have slowed down where you might have speeded up it'll tell you about the tonality of your voice was your voice the same um, tone all the way through or did you go louder did you go quieter it will even pick you up on filler words like um and ah and like and things like that. And it will even, and I've no idea how it does this, but it even picks you up on the complexity of the language that you're using and repetition as well. Now, this this absolutely blew me away, Pascal. And, and this is actually literally the, the um, free version that I'm using. So I was only having access to an absolute fraction of what it can actually do but it was incredibly accurate so incredibly accurate and in some respects I was really pleased because it, it, it told me the things that I thought it would tell me like that my voice does go up and it does come down and I do go faster and then I do go slower um, it pick, picked me up on more filler words than I was expecting I didn't think I used particularly ums and ahs that much maybe it was because I was playing around with it but absolutely remarkable. If you are prepared to pay for the, the the full version, it's got all sorts of extra functionality, but it's even got some exercises that you can go through to try and help you with your pacing and help you with your tonality and that sort of thing and help you to practice to uh, eliminate filler words. So ab absolutely remarkable. I guess the caveat is that it's about the delivery and Yes, you can be the best deliverer of information, but it doesn't take away from the fact that your content needs to be good in the first place. And what this app isn't going to do is tell you how good you, your content is. So you could actually be stood up there to talking total and utter rubbish, and it would still analyze your pace and your tonality and your filler words and all of that sort of thing. So it's not a, it's not a substitute for good content, but it will help you with the delivery. And I think it's really quite remarkable. The second thing um, is, at first I saw this and thought, this is, this is actually just a teleprompter. Um, and it's one of these teleprompters that you can actually put onto your phone or onto an iPad. And if you're happening to be speaking at a venue and you're on a lectern or something like that, you could use it as a teleprompter to actually read your speech. Now, I would never, ever advocate that. Uh, it, you could use it, for example, if you were doing a video and you have a camera pointed at you, you could have the teleprompter part 
hanging just below your camera. I've never been able to do that, Pascal. I don't know about you because it makes my eyes go from side to side like that, which absolutely freaks everybody out. But the teleprompting thing is 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 incidental. What I didn't realise is this thing has all sorts of other things built into it that public speakers have traditionally used. Like some people don't like to have scripts, but they like to have cue cards. This uh, Prompt Smart Pro, as it's called, can replicate re replicate cue cards. It can also replicate a fully written speech. It can also replicate um, slides. It can also replicate bullet points and of course it's integrated into your app and it could be built into powerpoint as well so so two really interesting apps never come across them before the first one was totally blew my mind when i saw what it could do and and i have toyed with the idea of buying the um the full version uh, but even the, even this teleprompter one which isn't as sophisticated could still be useful for those people who still find that it benefits their presentation if they can have cue cards and that sort of thing do you know i don't think we've had apps yet about public speaking or simply speaking delivering no. obviously messaging through the spoken words so i'm mm. really impressed that's really really quite mm. exciting so yeah mm. i think like you the first one really intrigues me only because it seems so so clever and back to teleprompters i can't use them and that's more the skill and training uh, on my part mm -hmm. so i tend to do without and just learn my text really well that's yes. you know so that's what i do but i know some people really swear by them and and you know that's, that's excellent so for me roger i want to go back to revisit i want to revisit two apps that we've mentioned uh in the past because okay. they've got some new features that i'm really excited about it's about video Mm -hmm. The first one is Subly, spelled S-U-B-L-Y. And you may remember that we spoke about it a few months ago now. It allows to caption and subtitle videos, as they say, automatically in a few seconds using really, really smart AI and in terms of the understanding of the, the spoken words. So what you can do with Subly, up to um, before I mention the new features, you can upload a video. We could upload, mm -hmm. for example, this episode of Two Geeks. And if we recognize that we are speaking in English, well, certainly we do try our very best. <laughs> and then you will see the words, you know, introduced. Or you can go on the editor and correct, you know, the odd words that have been, that have been misunderstood by AI. You can then change the aspect ratio. So you and I prefer landscape because of our love for all things movies. But you could go square and you can also go portrait and you can add branding and all sorts of things. And this been really quite a powerful tool to use just about a few days ago they have introduced translation so mm. now not only can you have obviously the english subtitled version of this podcast but if you wanted to grow um, your audience or simply engage your audience in different territories you can then go from uh, english to german english to uh, arabic english to norwegian the list of languages is quite extensive now this is still done by a machine so somebody who is obviously a native speaker suddenly a, who has a good command of the translated language is to go in and correct but that would be occasional. The speed at which you can really work is quite exceptional. And then you can save the video accordingly. Or what you can do is download just the text file, whether it's the SRT or VTT, and add that onto YouTube or indeed your editing software. But the translation, again, within seconds to go from English to German or English to Norwegian to then quickly tidy up and correct is quite a plus for exporters 
podcasters and content creators who want to grow their audience. So in my case, where before this was possible, I had to go in and manually translate the English version to French for my French audience. So that's a big plus. So Subly, well done for adding the translation service. So next one is KineMaster. Mm -hmm. the number one video editing software for mobile phones, but also one that is very complex or and you know, an audience will know, this is for advanced users who really want to push the editing. Pretty much everything you do, Roger, for your vlog, you can do on KineMaster. They've introduced mm -hmm. a whole raft of new templates to speed up your vlogging, and it is quite impressive. They introduce new transitions, new styling. So within seconds, you can go for retro for people like you and I, all the way to TikTok style, to um, one they inspired by urban, maybe one inspired by the outdoors. They've done an amazing work to give your your video just a style using templates and save you a lot of time. The transitions are also very very exciting. They also allow you now to share project files between users. So for example, you could start working on KineMaster and maybe you're halfway through the editing, but you've got to move on to a different project. You could send me the project files and I could finish the editing. That is very, very clever. And they also have introduced a new, very extensive library of copyright free music. So KineMaster was always a very good tool complex so not for the faint-hearted but now with the templates and all the addition of collaboration and music it's just back on the top of the list for me roger fantastic and you know that the, the translation thing is intriguing funnily enough um i subscribe to a um a tube buddy mm. which uh, we featured on the show before i have a sort of intermediate version of it i think it's called the star version they've recently introduced a translation service which is a higher up tier so i can't use it unless i pay more but that will do a similar sort of thing and it does intrigue me as to whether it would be worth and whether whether it would help spread the videos wider if they did have the ability to have foreign language um, subtitles in there french german whatever it might be uh, so it's in it you know subly has done it and TubeBuddy have done it. it is, it's just intriguing. And of course, given that I'm really into video at the moment, I will definitely be having a look at KineMaster. Excellent. Well, as I've said before, this is possible thanks to visionaries and pioneers of the distant and recent past. It is time to move on to This Week in History. In uh, 1931, President Herbert Hoover officially opens New York City's Empire State Building by symbolically pressing a button from the White House to turn on the building's lights. Well, in 1939, Batman, a character created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, first appears in Detective Comics 27. The superhero became so popular that he gained his own comic book in 1940. In 1975, the 70-minute TV pilot of Starsky and Hutch is, earned, is aired on the ABC network, introducing viewers to David Michael Starsky, Kenneth Richard Hutchinson, Huggy Bear, Captain Harold C. Doby, and of course, that car. Well, in 1978, Gary Chuak, a marketer from Digital Equipment Corporation, sends the first unsolicited bulk email, better known as Spam, across the ARPANET to promote two upcoming product presentations. 
In 1983, Microsoft introduces the two-button Microsoft mouse for PCs. Nearly 100,000 units of the device were manufactured at the time, but only 5,000 were bought. In 1992, ID Software Incorporated releases the game Wolfstein 3D for PCs. The game became an instant success and launched the first-person shooter genre, still popular today. In 1994, Steve Jobs introduces the iMac computer at the Flint Center Theatre, marking the return of Apple and the start of adding the letter I to just about every product it created. In 2000, President Bill Clinton announces that precise GPS access will no longer be restricted to the US military and the accuracy of civilian GPS devices would improve from 100 meters to 20 meters. Wow, wow. I know you want to talk about Starsky and Hutch. Oh Pascal. my god, I absolutely adore. They still do, but sheer nostalgia. The series. I mean, this was this Sunday afternoon family time. So Starsky and Hutch, just before the Fall Guy, just before Wonder Move, Wonder Woman, just before uh, Buck Rogers. So that was like the afternoon sorted. And it's just a joyous experience to watch Starsky and Hutch. But also, they, they tackled really kind of um, hard-hitting subject matters, uh, whilst it was a lot of humour. And I just adored the car. I had the model of the car, and I never played with it because I didn't want to scratch it. Oh, that red car with the <laughs> with the snazzy white sort of triangle stripe going along the side and then up over the top. That was just epic. I wanted to have a car where you have to jump through the window to get in. I still, I think, I, I think I still do really. <laughs> and and you know the bit in the in the uh, in the introduction, they, they kept it in the introduction title sequence. It was the bit where um, I think it was Hutch was running along uh, at the top of a wall, yeah. and he jumps yes. on top of the car, <laughs> and and apparently that was an ad lib on his behalf right? when they were filming it, and he almost broke his back, but it was such a good. And they and they got a fabulous shot of him landing on the top of the car and obviously making a great big dent in the roof uh, that they kept it in and it and, and it obviously f featured in pretty much every single um, uh, title sequence of the whole whole run. I mean, obviously, I s watched it in the in the eighties. This was obviously yeah. made in the seventies. It feels very seventies from the fashion and everything else. I mean, Huggy Bear, what a character! Um, uh, yeah. Ran for four seasons, uh, just mm -hmm. under hundred episodes. I think it was about ninety two give or take um but the music both in terms of the closing and opening credits but also throughout the the series was just wonderful yeah and and one of the things that i do remember about starskin hutch is that each series had its own theme music That's right yeah um so i'm, I'm pretty I, I would have to go and look it up but i'm pretty sure the first series was actually quite a, a rocky sort of da, da, na, 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 something like that. It reminded me a bit of the theme to uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, actually, the James Bond film. And then um, then later series had much sort of janglier and sort of more hip-hop type uh, uh, music. So there was definitely a different theme music to each series. And maybe that was reflected in the style because, again, maybe the memory's cheating. And, you know, 40-year-old TV series, it's very likely that the memory is cheating. But I seem to remember Starsky Notch was quite hard-hitting and quite actually quite violent in the early series. But 
did it actually get a little bit more light-hearted and a bit more jokey and a lot more fun as the series progressed? I think as the characters and, and the actors themselves settled into the, into the character, should I say? I think mm. I think so. But also, we were approaching the eighties. You know, it was the end yes. of the seventies. We were just making uh, you know making uh, steps away from the Vietnam War for for the US audience. And that kind of tongue in cheek, you know, the, the kind of buddy style with uh, the captain was on your on your back and so on. But interestingly, yeah. when it started, um, some of the older um, American audiences, maybe you know, be around the world, didn't like it because, um, sorry to say, Roger, it was deemed <laughs> to be promoting homosexual relationships. Oh, what <laughs> Starsky and Hutch were supposed because to be in they were, a relationship. Yeah, they were they were hugging far too much at the end of each of each series, <laughs> and they were far too close, sitting far too close to each other, maybe uh, whilst being shouted down by the, by the captain. Absolutely hysterical. Oh. Yeah, we probably better talk about some other news, otherwise this is going to become like the film marketing part of the show, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. So I wanted to uh, once again suggest to you that marketers spoil everything. Uh, it started yeah. in 1978 with, um, I suppose, you know, Gary wanted to do well and impress his bosses by saying, oh, we've got two events. Well, I know what I'll do. I'll send a mass email to the ARPANET, which we've just been given permission to use by the army and universities and annoy everybody on the list. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I mean, I, I seem to recently have had a massive increase in the amount of spam email that I'm getting. You know, two years after GDPR came in, I seem to be getting more and more emails from people that I've never subscribed to before. I don't know how they're getting away with it. Maybe I should um, report a few of them. But but yeah, I mean, it's Gary Vaynerchuk often says that marketers ruin everything. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I keep coming back to that mantra that I have, that if you as a customer... So me as a customer, if I don't like somebody spamming me with emails, why would I as a marketer feel it's all right to do it to to my customers? I, I don't know. Uh, it's such an anomaly. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and I know that um, Gavin Nitschek tells a story when he was talking to a customer of his who wanted to do uh, essentially mailers and said, well, yeah. let, let me ask you, when you go home tonight you know, and see your kids and your wife, this is the first thing you, you think, oh, I can't wait to see what mail I've received or what junk mail I've received. Yeah. Go, oh, I hate the bloody thing. And say, well, but you want to treat your customers the same way. It's just uh, something that I don't fully really understand. Could I ask whether you ever played Wolfstein 3D on your PC in the 90s? Oh, oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> that and Doom. Yeah. And then uh, th there was there was always the three shooters that I remember. There was I think I think this is the right order. Doom was maybe first, then Wolfstein, or was it the other way around? And then Duke Nukem. Yes. And, and Duke, Duke Nukem was the one that I eventually just absolutely adored and played that for several years before it sort of became a little bit old-fashioned. And, you know, that was a true, a true first-person shoot-em-up. And it was actually quite an adult-type game as well, quite a lot of swearing in it as well. Yeah, I mean... But those th three games, definitely. Well, it's all the kind of blood splattering was almost, uh, I suppose, in, you know, the beginning of also the Mortal Kombat franchise. Yeah. Was that ever... Yeah an end to, to those games. I mean, I was never good enough to go very far, but um, was it one of those I would keep going with different levels or there was definitely the big boss fight and that said you could win the game? 
Yeah, I, I, I got to the end of um, Duke Nukem. I never, <laughs> I don't remember getting to the end of the others, but there was, with Duke, Duke Nukem, there was definitely a big, big bad boss at the end. And the great thing is, is when you defeated it, it then opened up yet another level that you could go and play, right. which was, which there was nothing worse in it than you'd just faced, but it was almost like you got a reward for beating the final big boss and you got another level to go and explore after that. And finally, also we're going to say thank you to Bill for the GPS. Uh, mm. I didn't realize he was, you know, that imprecise. But but also thinking, twenty one years later, I just don't know what I would do without either Google Maps or a GPS type device. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. In- interestingly enough, um, just this last week, because the lockdown has been lifted to a certain extent here in Scotland now, it was the first time in over a year my wife and I have actually been able to drive up to Aberdeen to visit our son. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, you know, he's moved house since we last went up there, and. Uh, Yep, the uh, GPS was incredibly helpful in in locating where he was. (laughs) Excellent. Right, Roger. I hope that's okay, but we need to move on. But thank you again for just going down memory lane in your company. And there's been some just amazing kind of recaps. And also thank you for allowing a longer than usual, uh, you know, review of Starsky and Hutch. I can't wait for the 4K box set to come out. That would be on my Christmas (laughs) list. But let's go back into the present with the creator shoutouts. In this segment, Roger and I choose an individual, an organization creating amazing content and bringing value to their community. So Roger, who is in the spotlight today? Okay, Pascal, I'm going to shout out Andrew Lopez, and he does a a video podcast similar to this, except there's a massive difference. His podcasts are never more than three minutes long right it's called elevated conversations and i have to thank another of our uh, colleagues uh, john asperian for actually putting me in touch with andrew now andrew th- there's so many coincidences in this that it, it's absolutely delightful but andrew when i originally spoke to him was living in los angeles now as you know my sister lives in los angeles in venice beach and, and that's where andrew was living but we then arranged for me to go on his show to do one of these two to three minute uh, uh, tips, ideas. And by then, he'd moved to Edinburgh, <laughs> believe oh, it or right. not. And he actually is is living literally a mile and a half down the road on Portobello Beach. So I absolutely love that. And once the lockdown's totally over, we'll be able to meet up and, and, and have a coffee. But these are really, really interesting. As I say, it's very snackable, two to three minutes. And is, there's, it, there's very little introduction. It's literally just what's your idea? And your idea can be a business idea, it can be a self-help idea, it can be a mental health idea, it can be a mini recipe, it can be whatever you like, as long as there's a point to it, as long as there's a mini story to it. And he's a really engaging guy. And he's got this really incredible ability to sort of see the point straight away and then suck it out and tease it and and, uh, amplify it all within this two and three minutes. And of course, he does one every day, um, which is quite hard to find a constant stream of guests, which is why he asks all of his guests, and John Asperian was one of the guests prior to me, to recommend him to get more people on his show. So do give it a look. It's really interesting. Not a format I've come across before. Incredibly addictive and incredibly 
just snackable, I guess. Ah, super. Well, my kind of shout-out is for another Andrew. Andrew Turner on this occasion. <laughs> now, Andrew is the founder of English with an Expert, and he provides language services to an international audience who needs to prove their proficiency in the English language. Many of his customers will be doctors, architects, dentists, and others who want to emigrate to different countries, and they have to pass the test, something called the International English Language Testing System, which has also a very interesting acronym. And the reason why I chose Andrew, because Andrew, once again, is an example that you don't have to work in marketing to excel in content marketing, Roger. If there was mm. Ever an example for the expression zero to hero, which I hope you will mm -hmm. not mind me using, Andrew Turner is that example from someone who just understood the concept of becoming now a practitioner. It's been a delight to see his growth, but also his success over the past few years. So now he's a blogger, but he's also now a videocaster and podcaster. And he's taken his time, which I think is also a very important lesson for everybody. So every month he release a news tracker article giving an update on the world of you know, taking the English language test. He also has a kind of a company update, if you will, Roger, called Schools Out, each mm -hmm. with their own different graphics, different style and so on, which is brilliant. He has um, every month templates and essays and kind of um, examples of homework that can prepare you for the exam and every month which I think is also very nice it has a vocabulary article mm -hmm. around different themes he's just so active uh, and I think deserves a shout out more recently he started the podcast series called with an expert where he's talking to essentially organizations and individuals that would be a good complement to what he does and it's taking really shape and honestly i just think andrew turner is a wonderful example of someone that again is not from a marketing background but that's completely completely understood how to do content marketing yeah i i often find that quite a lot of people who aren't don't have marketing backgrounds are often better content marketers than marketing people but anything with a focus on language i'm just going through this phase at the moment pascal where i'm fascinated by language again and and writing and that's why it's been reflected in some of the tech that i've, I've looked at recently and you know structure of writing like humor and and, and that sort of thing so this is absolutely priceless super so to both andrews well done and once again thank you for the inspiration now, Roger. Yes. It's time for film marketing. Wow. Right, Roger Edwards. This is episode 39. We have reviewed our fair share of movies. We've covered all genres from horror to action to thriller to intrigue. But this is, I'm pretty sure, the very first courtroom drama that we're going to talk about. Yeah, A Few Good Men. So it is courtroom drama, drama. I guess technically it's court martial room mm. uh, drama, isn't it? Because the characters are in the Navy and the, and the Marine Corps. Um, but a, a relatively old film now. I mean, when we decided to do this film, Pascal, I mean, it's one of the one of my favourite courtroom films of all time. One of my favourite films of all time, full stop. And then I was really quite shocked to discover that it was actually released in 1992. I just couldn't believe it was as old as that. So a relatively early performance for Tom Cruise. 
What well, well, indeed, and, and like you, when I did the research, and uh, I remember the movie so well, it feels it was more recent. Uh, but also, mm -hmm. of course, it was more the memory of, I used to own the movie on VHS cassette, which is always a very strong game. There was a long time ago. And, and somehow I never did replace it to a DVD or even Blu-ray. So in fact, the last time I would have watched a movie would have been late 90s before I had to let go painfully with much tears mm -hmm. uh, my, my VHS collection had to be either given away or, or or thrown away because I had to make room for DVDs and the, and the rest but the movie just left certain impression which has been the case for most people I'd imagine including critics yeah I mean again it's one of those movies that is just full of quotable lines I mean there are so many quotable lines I, I often think I could probably recite the entire film myself um and, and and actually even though tom cruise is the headline we've also got jack nicholson in there and and i mean his part he's he, out of a two and a two and a bit hour running time jack nicholson's probably only in it for a maximum of 20 minutes i would say but my goodness doesn't he dominate 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 the 20 minutes that he's in similarly you've got demi moore big star in those days kevin pollock Day, uh, Kevin Bacon, Keith Sutherland, massive, massive stars now, but none of them get to over, you know, to, to swamp the film and take it over as their, their own. It's definitely an ensemble. Um, yeah. and, and in fact, you know, ultimately, um, Tom Cruise's character doesn't have that much dialogue either. That's fascinating. And, and we've got, therefore, to celebrate the work of both, firstly, the writer to begin yeah. with, and then the director. Now, yeah. I did not know this until I kind of quickly did some research for um, today that this was based on the play. Yes, it is. And I didn't know the play was based on real events. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> And, and I think, I mean, uh, without giving the plot away too much, but uh, in the end of the film, the two guys who were accused of murder, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the whole point of the film is that they, uh, they do get convicted of conduct unbecoming a Marine Corps officer, uh, and therefore they get dishonorably discharged. Now, apparently the story, the real story upon which the film was based and the play was based the the equivalent person who was accused of murder and then didn't get convicted of murder didn't get dishonorably discharged he was reinstated within the marine corps and apparently that individual was quite annoyed by the way the film portrayed his character right well it makes sense but but equally you know it had to be a work of fiction of course the um so the writer Aaron arkin um worked obviously that i think that was probably his first transition from uh, play as in stage to to screen but then if you look at what he did afterwards i think clearly he has a knack for things so he did the american president with um michael douglas the west yep. wing and of course later on the social network directed by david fincher so obviously he, he kind of loves this idea of an institution that you know is all about covering up and, and jack nicholson i think yeah what a force um it's been quite interesting to be on set with him um suggesting that you know an older figure with authority who basically um doesn't care much about the truth i mean obviously this is fiction that would never happen in real life really uh, <laughs> roger but your point about you know the, the different characters the way in which rob reiner made sure that this was not a tom cruise vehicle this was not a jack nicholson movie it, it, everybody even the supporting cast when they were on screen and when they were the dialogue 
it was just compelling and the two hour 20 minutes just goes by so quickly yeah i think it's definitely one of those films where they uh, they have taken hours and hours and hours and hours and hours over each particular line of dialogue there isn't a piece of dialogue in there that doesn't advance the plot doesn't point towards one of the arguments they're making in court every single line is absolute perfection uh, and and i think that is that is probably why none of the characters gets that spotlight now jack nicholson obviously tour de force as you've said i think his performance in this film is he's, he's scary as well you know that bit early in the film where he goes of course you can have the report but you've got to ask me nicely you know, and all of a sudden they bring the music in and, and they do the close-up on his face. And then the camera zooms out to Tom Cruise and, and Tom Cruise genuinely suddenly looks like a 15-year-old boy because Jack Nicholson is so scary in that moment. But I've also read people who think, nah, he, he, was, he, was, he was just hamming it up. He was chewing the sea, scenery. Uh, it was just a... a ham-fisted um, performance but to me again in that last sequence you know where he's uh, you know Santiago's death is tragic but it probably saved lives mm. he's just oh and then he's got you can't handle the truth and I, all of that stuff at the end is just edge of the seat stuff and you know I'm all I always hold my breath during that scene even though I've seen it about 30 odd times but you know for a fact that the dialogue inspired by statements that people like, you know, the character of Colonel, is it Colonel Jessup? Jessup, From memory, yeah. Uh, played by Jack Nicholson. You just know that this, what that generation was all about. That's how they spoke. I mean, the way he's so dismissive of Demi Moore when the, the first encounter, and when he discovers that, God forbid, Demi Moore is actually superior in rank to the character of Tom Cruise and and Jack Nicholson's yeah. character can't even cope with it and just laughs it off, thinking, yes. well, it's just nonsense that we have to put up with right now, but I'm not going to go with it. And I think there's also about generation. This is about you know the, the changing of times and, and new values that the movie is capturing. But yeah. for 1992, I think it was, uh, it was ahead of the time in terms of exploring what was, was around the corner. Yeah, and, and a couple of things as well. It, 1992, you know, before mobile phones... Before, you know, digital technology. And yet when I watch the film, I don't feel as if it's dated. Maybe it's because it's mainly set in a courtroom and therefore it doesn't rely upon digital technology. And, you know, okay, they do fly down to Guantanamo Bay a couple of times. Mm. And, and there are a few scenes in people's apartments as they're preparing their defences. But you don't feel as if it's a film that is old because it hasn't got the tech in it because it doesn't rely on tech anyway. And I think that's quite fascinating. And another thing which I think you would have expected a film like this with the tension between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore that at some point in the film they'd have got together. And I remember when I watched it the first time and she comes and she invites him to go out and they go out to a seafood restaurant, you just thought he's obviously going to fall into bed with her and there's going to be a you know a rampant scene and then it'll get back to the plot. And, and actually kudos to the writers for not doing that. And again, that was just, oh, Demi Moore and um, Tom Cruise don't get it on. Well, wow, you will have like e it. even more respect <laughs> with the writer and the, and the director when you hear that they were under pressure to make Demi Moore fall for Tom Cruise. 
Uh, and and they basically push back and push back and push back, and yeah. the, uh, to the point where the financiers, who clearly have no idea how to make movies, they just have the money, say, "Well, what is the point of having Demi Moore then if she's not going to get a kit off?" And you kind of go, <laughs> "Do you know what?" Um, apart from deserving probably a punch in the face by either Tom Cruise or Jack Nicholson on both, you know, just leave us do what we do best because it wouldn't advance the story. Um, can we quickly also mention Kevin Pollack, who I, yes. I absolutely adore. Whatever he does, I think he does it well. Uh, I, I mean, I suppose you could say that to all of them from J.G. Walsh, I actually like as well, as well as Cuba Gooding Jr., of course. Yes, yes. I mean, Kevin Pollock's got a, quite a restrained role, hasn't he? Mm. He's the he's the straight man, I guess, and the, the voice of reason. That's right. Uh, yeah, interesting to see Cuba Gooding Jr. I, I recently saw Cuba Gooding Jr. in a, a film which has only been made in the last few years and obviously is, is, a, is considerably older now. And I, I said to my wife, is that Cooper Gooding Jr.? Oh, yeah, so it is, yeah. So yeah. such a great cast. Great actor. And, of course, they'll work, Tom Cruise and Cooper Gooding Jr. will work again years later on Jerry Maguire. But, um, mm-hmm. So this movie was released at a very strange time. I wanted to get your reaction on that, Roger. This movie was released um, in December Mm-hmm. of 91 in the US and then kind of when it's caused and was released in January, the 1st of January 92 in the UK. Actually, the premiere was in Manchester at the old Odeon. And I'm thinking, that's interesting. That's not exactly a Christmas movie. That's not exactly no. you know, <laughs> the right time. Was it just simply what they had to do or was there some kind of marketing angle in there which escapes me? I don't know. I mean, you never, ever, ever, ever hear people having the old Christmas movie argument about few good men, do you? I mean, <laughs> you, it's uh, like, oh, it's definitely a Christmas movie because yeah. um, he's eating an apple or something like that. But uh, like you do with Die Hard, you know, that's an, mm. an age-old argument. But I, I didn't even know that, Pascal. I would have said, I would have said if you'd have asked me that it came out in the summer. No, no. I remember going to the movies to see it, of course, because you're yeah. right, the, the ensemble cast, which I don't think they do as well nowadays. Maybe it's just nostalgia that it's taking over here. But certainly, you know, as soon as I could, got the um, vid- video cassette. Now, at the time, I was still working in a video store. What a job to have when you're a student. <laughs> and we, we, we had to buy several copies because they would go so, so quickly. Um but suddenly, uh, I never then moved on to the DVD that was released in 97. So 97 being the, the year where the first DVDs came out. So it must have been one of the first few movies to get that kind of transfer over. Um, but yeah, I mean, w- w- what a movie. And when it comes to marketing, because I think we should talk about, yeah, talk uh, about, about that. marketing. And I, I've been reflecting on it. And, and I think for me, it is actually all about the trailer because what else was there in 92? Yeah. I think the poster is kind of, yeah, sure, why not? The faces of you know Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, and Demi Moore. But actually the trailer, I would recommend people, and we might actually put the link in the show notes, if you watch it and look at the structure and how they share the story just enough, but also to your point, even in the trailer, Tom Cruise may say about three, four words, if that. Mm. Mm. And again, I've already said this in the show today that sometimes the memory cheats. So I can't put my hand on my heart and say this is absolutely what happened. But you know that absolutely and utterly remarkable bit at the start during the credits when you've got this long line of riflemen stood 
on the parade ground and they sort of do this incredible choreographed way of flipping mm. their um, rifles onto the shoulders but it goes down the line like a line of dominoes and and the the, the timing is just absolutely incredible and my wife every time we watch this it says how on earth did they synchronize themselves so perfectly to make it look like a fluid movement now i'm pretty sure that initially one of the reasons why this film caught my attention before we went to see it is that somebody it must have been on tv maybe it's in in the trailer i've not watched the trailer for a long time but that sequence i saw before the film and that was one of the reasons why i went to see it Interesting. The trailer, uh, as it stands officially, begins with Jack Nicholson. Very cleverly, almost as a voiceover. Way. So you have the scenes for a very short while of, obviously, the scenes you've described. You've got, you know, just sequences that suggest, oh, this is taking place in Washington. Oh, this is a courtroom. But you've yeah. got the voice of Jack Nicholson mm. to mm. kind of start it. And then, of course, she end with him losing it completely in a courtroom mm. and mm. Tom Cruise saying, I want the truth. The truth. And therefore, for an audience, you kind of go, well, and I think what's interesting as well about the trailer and the movie, unlike other movies, the audience knows as much as the characters. So we know mm. what has happened to Santiago. Mm. We know it's terrible. You know that the family is can't get through the walls and, and the kind of the, the the way in which the army protects itself and kind of you know, yeah. close ranks. So they try in you know, obviously a, a different way. And Demi wants to take on the case. And I think what is interesting about the, the movie, and I think there's an interesting hint about how to tell the story. Your point about the content spotlight, which is that the character of Tom Cruise is flawed. In fact, I don't think he's yeah. really. He cares much because that's going to go against what he wants, which is the lifestyle. He doesn't want to work hard at it. And this looks like a case that requires hard work. And you're right, between Demi Moore and Kevin Pollock, you know, the characters, they turn him around. But so the trailer is also superbly in sync with the movie, which is rarer because I think sometimes you and I would say, as part of film marketing, oh, yeah, there's a trailer and we move on very quickly because mm -hmm. what is there to say? Or well, sometimes the trailer is actually misleading or shows you the best bits. But this trailer, which is why I want to insist on people, you know, for research purposes, watch it because it's superbly edited and tells a story in two and a half minutes, yeah. perfectly matching the two and a half hours of the, of the film. Yeah, absolutely right. It's uh, yeah, we watched it again last night, Pascal, and Did again, you? absolutely edge of the seat stuff. That last twenty minutes where he cross examined where Tom Cruise cross examines Nicholson in the courtroom, it is just absolutely electrifying. Incredible for performances. Well, there you have it. I'm already exhausted just thinking about the film <laughs> and I'm going to be watching it this weekend, of course. But this was episode 39. I promise it was a big one and a good one and I do believe we you know, met that goal. Roger Edwards, thank you very much for being such a wonderful co-host. Viewers and listeners, thank you for your support. Please leave comments and suggestions in usual places. Until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is on right. I was Pascal Fintoni and he was Roger Edwards. Oh,